Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. We had the two Michaels heading back to Canada and they arrived in Calgary, 6 a.m. local time, 8 a.m. Eastern time. So watch the full story and the backstory and what should happen or what might happen going forward concerning Canada's relationship with China. Dr. Christian Luprecht is professor at Queen's University and the Royal Military College. He's an Eisenhower Fellow at the NATO Defense College, uh, Queen's Center for International Defense Policy, and the Institute of Intergovernmental Relations. He's active with those organizations, frequently testifies at parliamentary committee hearings, and his most recent book is Intelligence as Democratic Statecraft. Christian, thank you very much for taking the time. How much democratic statecraft did we see exercised over the last 1,020 days in the two Michaels case, the Meng Wanzhou case, and the confrontation between the United States and China with Canada in the middle? Canada played the long game, and the rule of law in, in the Canadian democracy ended up winning out. That is to say that we let the process play out, and as the process unfolded, it became to the defense, uh, presumably, increasingly clear that things were either not going their way or that they couldn't bear the risk of a possible finding in favor of extradition. And so, in effect, the defense, defense caved because if they thought that she wasn't going to be extradited anyways, then they wouldn't need to settle for an agreement. So the fact that they signed on to a deferred prosecution agreement uh, suggests that uh, ultimately, uh, they picked the lesser of two evils, that is to say, the prospect of an embarrassing trial and possible conviction in the United States after extradition or an agreement uh, that allows her to walk free and, uh, and return to China. And of course, you'll remember that there were voices in Canada that repeatedly suggested a prisoner swap, essentially usurping our rule of law and our judicial system in favor of political priorities. And I think what we saw here is that our rule of law system worked. It exerted sufficient pres uh, pressure on the defense to, uh, to, to sign um, a DPA um, and to demonstrate that indeed uh, there were grounds to assume that there was some wrongdoing here by both the executive in her actions as well as by uh, Huawei. And that was really, I think, what uh, the United States was looking to achieve here, send a message that um, individuals such as Ms. Wang Wenzhou and companies such as Huawei will not get away with impunity uh, when they violate the national interests of the United States and its allies. So if we go back to the beginning, uh, just before the arrests of the, the two Michaels, so we go back 1,050 days, let's say. What was this case about to China? Was it about playing hardball with the U.S.? Was it about uh, playing hardball with Canada and the U.S.? Was it playing hardball with the West? Was, there, was it China trying to assert itself 
above and beyond its punching power, at least at this stage? This case was about huge reputational risk, first and foremost for the Chinese regime. And as we know, of course, the regime uh, already has challenges in terms of legitimacy with the domestic Chinese population as well as internationally. Um, and this case presented a clearly risk that the regime was not willing to bear. What do I mean by uh, risk? That is to say that the actions of Chinese corporations, uh, state-owned enterprises, and their executives have repeatedly not been um, above the threshold of what one would expect of proper corporate behavior uh, as we would understand it in Western democracies. And so this case risked exposing on a significant scale uh, the wrongdoing by the crown jewel of the Chinese, not just high tech sector, but arguably possibly of Chinese industry. And the United States quite deliberately didn't just pick anybody from any corporation or say lower hanging fruit inside Huawei, they picked uh, the doyen really of Chinese high tech. It's kind of like the crown princess of, uh, of Chinese high tech to make the point that um, we will find you, we will get you, we will prosecute you, and you will languish in a U.S. prison um, if you conduct yourself in such a manner. And so this is really a shift in U.S. strategic doctrine that dates back to 2018. The strategic doctrine is known as persistent engagement, where instead of constantly the West, and especially the United States, playing defense, the sense of that we need to pay, play offense in the space of our adversaries and our rivals. And if they are going to press us hard in the cyber domain, in the political domain, in the economic domain, then we also need to push back against all these domains. And you'll have noticed since 2018, for instance, at the United States making a point of uh, revealing the names of individuals that are associated with various cyber and ransomware attacks, for instance, on the U.S. government and on U.S. corporations. And so this fits with the pattern of the United States explicitly calling out corporations and individuals. Um, and it sends also a message that all the other individuals in China at senior ranks that are engaging in wrongdoing that runs counter to U.S. national interests, the United States may just get you as you travel outside of China. So it means that either they now have to spend the rest of their life in China and not leave for fear of being arrested or detained somewhere, um, or that ultimately they may not want to work for corporations um, or carry out orders that ultimately um, they think will put their ability to travel outside of China and enjoy um, everything that people like to enjoy in the West, including the freedom and prosperity that we enjoy. Um, so I think it is trying to um, up the stakes, raise, uh, raise the ante uh, for wrongdoing within Chinese corporations. Uh, and I think that was ultimately the signal that the United States was looking to send to the Chinese regime. And I think the Chinese regime heard the message. The lights on 24-7 for the whole of the confinement and, and uh, very poor, awful food, poor nutrition, um, poor, if any, uh, medical um, attention. In the pre-trial detention centers in China, generally prisoners are, are made to sleep on a hard, rough wooden floor uh, in a cell with quite a lot of people. In my own case, um, it was 15 square meter cell with 12 people in the cell and the toilet was a hole in the floor in the corner of the cell. Christian, when you hear 
Peter Humphrey describe just in that 30-second clip what his life was like. And and he's also, he told us that's how the two Michaels would have been living. They were simply pawns in this big game, were they not? Uh, clearly, that was the message that was sent yesterday. And I think this is the uh, doing of Dominic Barton, uh, perhaps him um, indirectly repenting for some of his sins when uh, he was the head of uh, um, of McKinsey uh, Global um, and some of the doings of the corporation then. And I think his negotiation skills in the three weeks he was spent in Washington, because it appears that the release of the Michaels uh, became part of those discussions. And of course, what this signals is that contrary to the narrative by the Chinese regime, um, the detention of the two Michaels was always um, retribution for the detention of Meng Wanzhou in China. And I think the US wanted to expose the hypocrisy in that narrative. Um, and you'll have also seen that, of course, uh, Ms. Meng Wanzhou presented herself as the victim uh, in the rather bizarre press conference uh, that she gave, you know, living in a $13.7 million house, driving around in luxury vehicles uh, while Canadians are languishing um, in Chinese prisons under the conditions that you just outlined. And I think the U.S. wanted to uh, make sure that uh, there was a clear understanding in terms of the narrative that, yes, uh, there was good reason to believe that there was uh, wrongdoing on a significant scale uh, by Huawei facilitated and enabled by the executive. But the aim here wasn't to ultimately prosecute. The aim was simply to send the signal and send that message. And so I think having the two Michaels come home on the same day um, was a significant concession uh, by the Chinese regime in order to secure the release. And I think this is why the DPA itself is so relatively lenient, uh, because the release of the two Michaels in and of itself sends a pretty strong message about uh, the untenability of the narrative that the Chinese regime had been peddling on this case from the beginning. So I, I wanted to ask you about what was going on behind the scenes, but I'm going to drop that question in favor of this. So now what? What, what, what happens now? What about 5G? What about Huawei in Canada? What about um, our relationship? How do you see the relationship between Canada and China? The Chinese ambassadors to Canada have certainly not been shy about expressing their disfavor with this government and with this country. So we have to remember that there are other countries that have their own citizens subject to the same sort of hostage diplomacy that Canada has been subject to. Australia, Japan, India are just some of the examples of countries that uh, find themselves in this circumstance. And so Canada, both for its own interests and for the interests of allies and partners, would have had a strong interest in ensuring uh, that uh, the Chinese regime understands that this type of diplomacy will not succeed. And I think the message that was sent here clearly is that uh, this diplomacy did not achieve anything in the end, uh, that in the end, uh, the justice system in Canada, uh, independent um, and objective as it is, uh, took its course. Um, and I think ultimately justice was done in this case uh, in the form of the DPA, because we don't want to put Canadian or other citizens at risk inadvertently in China if the Chinese regime believes that this type of uh, diplomacy can succeed. So that, I think, was a key 
objective here. Um, and it will have to see what this means for Huawei in Canada, but I think it really means nothing. I think the Canadian government, um, as professional diplomats do, will have tried to avoid linkage here and will have said Huawei technology in, in Canada, in particular Huawei switches in our mobile phone towers and our internet infrastructure is an issue that is entirely separate um, from the detention of two Canadians and the prospective Meng Wanzhou extradition. And I think the Canadian government, again, appears to have succeeded uh, in making sure it does not end up being captive to linkage and in foreign policy. You always want to try to avoid, to, to avoid linkage to make sure you negotiate these issues separately. Is there opportunity now? Has, has a door been opened? I want to come back to the issue of the Canadians who are imprisoned in China now. And again, Robert Schellenberger is facing a death sentence. Is there an opportunity now to open the door for them and get them out of China as well, or is this completely separate? So, of course, it's difficult to judge the circumstances under which individuals end up being convicted in China because who knows? Uh, some people probably get convicted because there may have been criminal wrongdoing. Others get convicted simply because the courts are not independent and effectively a political instrument uh, of the regime and its interests. And what the courts decide one day um, might be completely different the next, depending on whatever the prevailing truth uh, among the regime in Beijing is. And so I think we can only hope that um, uh, other Canadians and foreigners um, that are incarcerated and languishing in China, including on death row, um, will be treated better as a result of this and not instrumentalized for political purposes. However, the Chinese regime is notoriously uncooperative with foreign missions from all Western countries uh, when it comes to cooperation um, on individuals who are detained. And so um, we can all be hopeful, uh, but I think we need to be realistic um, that if there was no immediate release of someone like Robert Schallenberger, um, that uh, this is a case on which the Chinese authorities were not willing to cave, presumably because they feel that uh, they have a stronger case to make on the evidence than they do against the two Michaels, because as we know, in the entire evidence and the entire trial on the two Michaels uh, was always conducted in secret precisely because there was never a case to be had. Okay, we have just under a minute left. Uh, is China going to uh, perhaps feel the need to flex its muscles a little bit, particularly if it feels it had to blink in this particular case, the Wang Wanzhou case? Well, I think we'd actually see the opposite, that China is sort of paring back its wolf warrior diplomacy and its extremely aggressive stance, realizing that this is not actually bearing the fruits of that it is hoping for. And we've seen this in sort of some of the narrative. I think what we saw from Wang Manju, it was a pretty conciliatory statement. I think that statement was intended to divide allies, to divide Canada and the United States, to show that Canada was used and instrumentalized by the U.S., which it was to some extent here. Um, but uh, I think what uh, what China is, it is showing that I think the uh, the Chinese foreign policy and Chinese narrative is getting better at understanding Western audiences and what they need and want to hear. Um, and that what China has been doing in recent years has been okay. extremely ineffective in achieving uh, the objective. The, the medium-term strategy and objectives that the country has laid out for itself 
um, within the international community and on the international stage, All right. keeping in mind that this is a country that intends to overturn the international order as we know it. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.